Welcome to Diverse, a Society of Women Engineers podcast. SWE gives women engineers a unique place and voice within the engineering community. On Diverse, we highlight incredible women in STEM and discover who they are at home, at work, and everywhere in between. You can find all of our episodes online at podcast.swe.org or wherever you stream your favorite podcasts. Hello, I'm your host, Sam East, and welcome to Diverse, a sweet podcast. I'm so thrilled to have Holly Maudsley of 3M with me on the show today to talk about the benefits of neurodiversity in the workplace. Holly brings a unique perspective. She has a chemical engineering background and is the pilot plant manager for abrasive systems at 3M. She also has a lifetime of experience of working and schooling with ADHD herself, as well as parenting a child with ADHD. Holly, we are just so excited to have you here today to talk about neurodiversity as a whole, your own story, as well as how we can create more inclusive workplaces in STEM for people with cognitive differences. Yeah, thank you so much for having me here today. I'm very excited to talk to everyone and to share more about neurodiversity, which is really so important uh, these days in history as well, but especially now. So thank you so much for having me. Mm-hmm. Like to your point, it feels like there's more of a general awareness and curiosity around this topic, but neurodiversity in general, something a lot of people are talking about. Can you lay the groundwork for our conversation here? What is it? And what are we talking about when we use that term specifically? Sure. Thank you. Um, yes, neurodiversity is kind of a catch-all word, and I think it's become more commonplace these days. Uh, it's It gives it a spin uh, that's a little more neutral or positive rather than negative maybe in the past. But this is a, a, a catch-all for things like ADHD, autism, uh, let's see, dyslexia, dyspraxia, uh, dyscalculia, some of those other ones. Uh, in some circles, they include things such as Tourette's or traumatic brain injury. Anything that your brain is operating a little bit differently than what we would call like neurotypical, mm-hmm. uh, you know, but in reality, what we find is that it's a large uh, spectrum. It's not just a yes or no, black or white, on or off. It's a, a wide range, but really looking at that, the differences in brain functionality. And common too, one in seven people are neurodivergent. That's right. That's right. Exactly. And what we find too, or the research shows is a lot of them are co-indicated. So somebody that has ADHD could also have autism. So Mm. looking at the exact numbers is a little bit difficult because somebody that struggles with dyslexia might have, uh, you know, ADHD as well, or they might have multiple afflictions. And it's a little bit hard to parcel out what is the result of which exact one. So looking at broadly, it's very common in people that are around you, whether it's your colleagues, your uh, people that you go to school with, your mm-hmm. children, or mm-hmm. someone in your family. Mm-hmm. And neurodiverse folks are really a crucial part of the workplace, I mean, especially since it is so common, like we've been chatting about here. And we are speaking in more sort of broad terms, since each person is very unique, very different. But can you speak to the value specifically to businesses supporting an inclusive and supportive environment for uh, professionals who are neurodiverse? Sure. 
the and let me step back just a little bit to talk more about some of the specific ones. I would say the more common types of neurodiversity are ADHD and autism. The four Ds colloquially are dyslexia, dyspraxia, dyscalculia, and dysgraphia, which mm -hmm. would be difficulty with reading, movement, math, or writing. Um, but the so a lot of focusing more on autism and ADHD, which are, are the more common ones, there's different strengths that people bring uh, with these different neurodiversities. And so looking at, rather than looking at them in isolation, I mean, there's benefit to looking at them in isolation with those tendencies that have that kind of name on them. Mm. Um, but there's, again, a lot of overlap. So if we look specifically at, say, like ADHD, some of the things that might be connected with that are being very creative or mm -hmm. being a broad thinker, mm -hmm. uh, thinking outside the box uh, and having a lot of creativity, being able to visualize things in a different way or, or coming at problems from a different perspective. Mm -hmm. uh, but some of the other side of that is that maybe people don't uh, complete a task as uh, intended or as they're quote unquote supposed to, mm. uh, or that they might not follow through all the way because they get excited about starting on the next thing, or they have a big idea about something else. And so mm. the, the follow through portion of it. So there's a lack of focus, but there's also a hyper focus. It's mm. just a different type of focus that mm -hmm. is different than maybe a neurotypical that can start on one task and complete one task, but then does the task very straightforward. Mm -hmm. uh, so so that would be like, for instance, some of the ADHD kinds of tendencies. You know, if we switch to autism and look at that, you know, this is a, a characteristic where it's very literal, taking things very like at, as the words are spoken and um, ha having maybe a difficult time or or not as fluid as kind of reading between the lines or some of those social cues, uh, maybe that is not direct. So there's, I mean, they, so with this kind of outlook or with this kind of uh, perspective, uh, there's a, there's a high degree of systemizing and being able to find patterns and mm -hmm. putting data together in a way that really connects dots that other people don't see. So looking at the value in businesses. So this is, this is the thing that's really critical is we've spent, we society have spent a lot of time looking at problems, identifying, you know, mental deficiencies or mm. afflictions or mm -hmm. diagnoses, things that mm -hmm. need to be treated. Uh, but in, in reality, we're finding that it's just such a broad spectrum mm -hmm. and that there are strengths that people bring that we need we we should focus on strengths rather than on weaknesses. Mm -hmm. um, I have a graphic in my talk that I really like, and it shows a lineup of animals, and it has a monkey, a, a elephant, a penguin, a fish, a seal, a dog, and it says, okay, for for a fair uh, selection, we're going to have everybody take the same test. So everyone climb the tree, and we will say see who is the best. And you can see how this would apply in the school system or yeah. in a job um, interview or, you know, something like that, where if you are looking at one thing 
and judging everyone based on that, some will perform better than others. Some will right. do better than others. Mm-hmm. But but people are well-rounded or, or people are very multifaceted and mm-hmm. work is multifaceted. The world is multifaceted. Mm-hmm. It's not just looking at one thing. So we need to understand that people have different strengths. And if we can all try to identify them, speak about them and use them to our advantage, that we all will be better off. So Mm -hmm. the people from a humanity perspective, but then also at work, we found in other areas that diverse teams perform better. So looking at many things, uh, racial diversity, Mm -hmm. gender diversity, Mm -hmm. age diversity, uh, many things like that, but also diversity of thought and how Uh, we come at problems. Mm -hmm. Uh, So utilizing, bringing together on purpose, diverse teams and understanding that people with neurodiversity bring something positive. So Mm -hmm. including making, being welcoming, opening space and allowing for some of those differences to problem solve makes the you know path forward so much better. The, the ability to develop products and solutions and impacts to society uh, really uh, accelerates that uh, to be a better situation than if you have everyone that is very uniform. Yeah, you know, from listening to how you're describing people, folks who are neurodivergent, It sounds like it's really crucial for workplaces, no matter the industry, to really lean into the conversations and the awareness here so that they can modify, they can adapt and they can lean on the strengths, so many of which you listed and and create, like you said, a more well-balanced, well-rounded workforce. That's right. It's this is why it's um, it's become more common nowadays to to talk about it, because people are realizing how transformative it can be in the workplace, but also for the workforce mm-hmm. to to understand, to to have knowledge, to have training, to to be open about it and talking about it uh, and recognizing it that it brings value to the business. So it's it's better to recognize it than to try to either exclude or minimize or diminish Mm -hmm. or you know somehow holds back um folks with neurodiversity not to mention having those conversations more and more creates a lot less shame in the workplace so those who do uh those who are neurodiverse feel more open about addressing their situation right you know one of the things we talk about is showing up as your full self Mm. And being being able to be you and being mm-hmm. uh, true to yourself and being true to just being able to, you don't have to mask. Hiding that from your colleagues puts a lot of strain on the yeah. person to, yeah. you have to work extra hard to hide it and keep it from, from people uh, it, on top of trying to do your job. Right. And so it's being able to just be you is freeing. And allows mm-hmm. you to focus on the task at hand to get mm-hmm. the work done, to uh, lean full in on your projects or whatever the teams are that you're working on. And it, it it's, brings a, a freeing effect that is is really crucial. Yeah. Speaking to that freeing, 
Could you tell us more about your personal experience of moving through workplaces and the formal education system as someone with ADHD? Because I imagine uh, a lot of our listeners will really relate to your story. Right. So I I think it's funny thinking back when I was in high school um, last century in um, (laughs) the 1990s, I remember I came across a book somewhere that was something about adults with ADHD. And this was maybe kind of on the, it was newer and not so talked about. And I read this book and it really resonated. And I'm like, oh, this explains everything. This is so like, it was, it just hit spot on. And I went to my dad with this book and I said, look, I figured out everything that's wrong with us. And, <laughs> and he just was so dismissive. And he's like, oh, there's nothing wrong with us. We're totally fine because mm. ADHD is, is hereditary. Mm-hmm. And I could tell, you know, right away that this is something that, and I knew before, you know, that I took after my dad very strongly in that regard and that I could see it in his family members. He came from a large family of 10 kids oh, and wow. Uh, yeah, but he was very, you know, dismissive. Like, there's nothing, there's nothing wrong. There's nothing to be solved. There's no problem. But yet, I felt, I felt, I struggled with things that I could see that my other, the other students that I went to school with, that they did not struggle with. That they, they did not have problems with starting a task and finishing it on time, or planning ahead for a project that was due in two weeks. Mm. And, you know, breaking it down from a large task into smaller tasks and uh, following through on um, like dotting all the I's and crossing all the T's and getting, you know, the the last part of it done, Uh, getting instead of getting to 80 percent, getting to 100 percent without stress and trauma and and, you know, anguish. And so I felt like there was that there was something wrong with me. Mm-hmm. And so when I went to my dad and and said that and was was you know kind of pushed back, I felt even worse because I'm like, well, now what do I do? I don't know what to do. Mm-hmm. And it was at some point that I went and um, got diagnosed on my own, and I don't remember if it was high school or college, you know, just in that kind of early adulthood time frame. And I did start medication at the time. And at the time, it was kind of still trying to figure out how to diagnose it. And it, it then and now, it's a lot of these were more commonly diagnosed in boys or males mm. and not as much in females. So that was even harder to, well, I don't know if you have it or not, but let's try this. And so I and I did. And it was it was great because I could see I felt my brain acting differently when I had medication versus when I didn't. So I did that for about, you know, maybe six months or a year or a shorter kind of period of time. And then I did go off the medication because there were other things. What happened is I lost my creativity, but it was a tool. And mm. so it it showed me how my brain could function differently mm. and how then I could try to harness that. And so I, I um, th- that was my experience. And what is it like for you now? Because you're saying this was your early experience, sort of coming to terms with it, seeking treatments and understanding. How has that evolved now? And perhaps there's some strategies and support that you could share. Yeah, the you're right. It, I did that for a little while. And then, you know, I was deep in college. And so I kind of went away from that. And I said, OK, now all I got to do is work harder. 
<laughs> and so, you know, got through college and, and a struggle like with everyone, but, you know, managed fine and started working, got in with 3M at some point, you know, some roundabout stuff and then was working. And so it was great. Life is easy. Life is solved. Uh, but I, that's when, you know, I started to feel like um, I was... <sighs> Uh, yeah, I'm trying to figure out how to how to best say it, but like I didn't feel like I I was doing it right, or that mm. I was I was missing something, that I was, you know, not good enough, and mm. uh, not quite imposter syndrome, but like, how come it's easier for other people? Mm. And like I was always late for meetings, always late for like getting to work. I could never get to work at eight o'clock or whatever it was, and everyone else just magically showed up at. 6 30 or 7 o'clock and especially living in minnesota or smaller towns that's a value uh mm -hmm. to be early to work and like i could never be early to work and i would do all my presentations at the last minute and you know all of these things and i maybe overtly but a lot internally i felt like i was deficient and like if i could just do this better if i just had a better planner if i just had more reminders on my calendar or whatever it was. And so I berated myself for years. Mm -hmm. And and I also didn't progress uh, career-wise, maybe as fast as I saw others, uh, which is kind of a, a thing where you only see the top achievers, not the large mass in the middle. But mm -hmm. it was at some point and late in my career, I would say even you know 15 or 20 years in, that I really had a wide awakening to say, you know, I have strengths that other people don't have. Mm -hmm. And how can we never talk about that? How mm -hmm. can we never talk about all the great things? We only talk about the problems or the deficiencies. So some of the things like for myself specifically is very big picture thinking, very strategic thinking and the ability to uh, connect all of those dots. And then you know, very personable and easy to get along with others, especially from a broad range of skill sets. So mm -hmm. from the maintenance people, from the technicians that run the line, from other engineers that I was working with, from the leadership above me and, you know, vice president level, all of those people I could have meaningful relationships with and really get the best out of and build that. And that was not a skill that other people had. And mm -hmm. I didn't know that because I only had my perspective. Mm -hmm. And so once, yeah, once I really realized that and started to reframe it, then I felt so much better because, you know, instead of people saying like, you're always late, I would say, but look at the great strategy that I developed. This is mine. I came mm -hmm. up with this. And off the top, we talked about how uh, you have a child with ADHD. You chatted a little bit about how things might be shifting now, but where do you think things stand in terms of general stigma? Is is yeah. there more openness around this? Yeah, yeah, this is another hard part because, uh, yeah, like you mentioned, I could tell easily early that my son was similar in you know behavior or in ways of thinking that I was, and I knew that this was going to be fantastic for him and a lifelong struggle. And mm -hmm. it's a matter of trying to figure out how to, you know, exist in society, you know, get along in society and, and do what we need to, but then also being true to yourself 
and and everything. So I would say that it is not perfect yet. I think it's better. Um, there is a lot of discussion going on, uh, a lot more awareness nowadays. Uh, and so for my son in particular, and you know, but I tried for the longest time to use you know my background to help him with behavioral resources initially and did that as long as possible uh, with breaking things down from a large project to a small one and keeping organized with to-do lists and keeping a planner and, you know, trying to help him build those skills. And I put off medication as long as I could. Mm -hmm. And I put off like working with the school system for either an IEP or a 504 plan uh, for as long as possible. Uh, in elementary school, we were fine. The His teachers, you know, he would typically have one teacher and the first couple weeks of school would be a little bit rough until they got to know each other, how they worked and functioned. And I would communicate with the teacher and I'd say, okay, here's the things that work. Here's the things that don't. And then once they got a pattern going, the rest of the school year was fantastic. But hmm. middle school, uh, because now going to six teachers, it was not possible to have that same sort of conversation or understanding. And the teachers definitely expect the kids to be much more um, self-regulated and self-directed. Now he's a senior in high school. High, high school's been a struggle every year. It gets harder and harder. The amount of work that's expected, the mm -hmm. amount, the, the depth and breadth of work and college is gonna be even harder. So we did finally start on medication. So then I did have to get a formal diagnosis for him to, to get medication. And all I can tell myself is I wish I would have done it sooner. Mm. Uh, we tried and struggled as long as possible. And I'm a single parent, so mm. it was all on me. So me with ADHD, trying to help him with ADHD, that mm. is, it's, it's difficult. But yeah. another problem that we have is the amount of mental health resources that are available is pitifully low. We need more resources to have those discussions more frequently and more like it's a normal thing. We need to really normalize that. And one way is to have the, that support system or that network built out like we do for, you know, physical um, mm. issues. But uh, getting back. So, yeah, we I got him on medication. I could tell instantly that it was the right thing to do and how it changed him, how he how he was. It was similar. I mean, there were definitely some deficiencies or some some drawbacks, um, but I, I view it as a tool. It is not a solution. It is not an end all. It's not right for everyone. It is, it's a tool. And to just like myself, the ability to see how you can function differently, mm -hmm. it's a learning. And so my goal or thought or hope would be that it's not lifelong necessarily, mm -hmm. but that's fine. But that he can learn from it because he needs to become self-reliant. He can't have such a large support structure all around interminably, you know? Mm -hmm. So we, we need to help. And I would say this for other kids as well. We need to help as much as possible, but then also normalize and bring um, tools and action plans, just like what can be done in the workplace. Mm -hmm. uh, but all of these things are going to help everyone. Well, speaking of that support, how, mm -hmm. you know, for a, an engineering leader, a leader in STEM that may be listening to this right now, who has the intention to create a more inclusive, more accepting, more welcoming 
work environment, specifically for those who may be neurodiverse, what what do you think, what strategies can be implemented to foster that environment? Yes, fantastic. I'm so glad that you asked that. So there was something, there's something called curb cut effect, which I didn't know anything about before starting to research this specifically last year um, ahead of the talk that I did last year. And the curb cut effect, just for folks that don't know, are, you know, at the end of sidewalks, when you're getting ready to cross the street, the curb is cut down to become even with the, the road. And then there's like a crosswalk and then the same thing on the other side. And it was originally done that way or built or designed that way for people in wheelchairs. This is as, hmm. you know, for disability. Mm-hmm. For It was specifically like an ADA uh, accommodation uh, for that specific cause. But what was found is that a lot of people really like the, the curb cut and hmm. people with strollers people with shopping carts or with uh, carrying or with, you know, they're anything that they have or bicycles. Mm-hmm. Um, and that it's very beneficial for a wide range of people, not just people in wheelchairs. Mm-hmm. And so the same can be said for a lot of the things that are going on in the workplace today. And I don't think 3M is different than a lot of places. And some are farther along and, and, and not as far along around there. But I would say things that I've noticed personally that I've noticed around here are some people will have a sign on their door that says no strong smells, you know, no perfumes or scented, you know, lotions in this area. Uh, mm-hmm. They have a very strong sen- sensitivity to smells. And other places people like to turn the lights down, you know, because just the light is kind of overwhelming. And I've noticed that with, you know, folks that are consistently like that and other people that do that occasionally you know maybe once in a while they turn their lights down for a you know a specific time also becoming more common are like noise canceling headphones some people the the noise around them is just overstimulating but a lot of people that don't have that sensitivity also enjoy having uh not to listen to all of their people talking in you know cubicles around them mm-hmm. so these sorts of of accommodations or uh, differences in work styles are becoming more commonplace, uh, which is which is fantastic because then everyone can choose what they use or what they don't use. And there's no stigma to say, oh, you have noise canceling headphones. You must mm. be one of those types. Right. Uh, but it's, yeah. And so that's why it's, it's really, really good. So some of the things, and I'm just looking at my list that from the talk that I'll, that I'll be doing, Um, But some of the things around hidden curriculum, like trying to navigate some of those social interactions. So having a an agenda for meetings, having people's pictures, like especially if you're going to have a a guest speaker or somebody new come in, having a picture so people can get an idea of what they they are like before they come into the situation. So they're not surprised Mm. Uh, those those sensory kind of issues. Uh, Mm -hmm. Being able to uh, cut, you know, take something big and and cut it down. Uh, And then also, like, when you're doing a presentation, waiting or looking around to make sure everyone understands before moving on, rather than you get to the end of the presentation and somebody was confused on slide three. Uh, So that helps people that need a little bit more time for digesting it, but also Mm -hmm. is, is good for everyone. 
the other thing that we've really found, and I'm sure, again, this is true in a lot of places, 3M is a global company. I have colleagues all around. The pandemic really sharpened that, that things that we used to do take for granted that we would just always meet in person in the conference room. Mm -hmm. We transitioned to being more online, being more, you know, having having uh, virtual meetings or on camera or not on camera. Uh, but there are a lot of colleagues around the world. I have people in Japan and in Europe that I meet with regularly. Some of that clear, concise language mm-hmm. not only helps people with autism that, you know, are struggle with idioms or things like that. Um, it also helps people that are, are not native English speakers. So, mm-hmm. I mean, that's just an example of why it's just good practice to be aware that people are, uh, there's a wide variety out there and the things that we would do for accommodation for neurodiversity mm-hmm. help people that are not, you know, that are neurotypical and people that are coming from other cultures. Mm-hmm. Uh, we have two quick questions for you before we let you go on this conversation, but I can imagine that there are a lot of people listening right now who are really nodding along, who may have neurodiverse tendencies themselves. And you hear a lot, you have to be your own best advocate. There are, of course, strategies that should be implemented from the leaders in these workplaces to create more welcoming, more diverse workplaces and workforces. But what strategies can you share to help individuals advocate for themselves to be more successful at their work on an individual level? Yeah. So this is something too that is critical and important. And it's it's the uh, self-advocacy. And a couple things that we've done here or I've observed in a couple meetings that was meaningful to me. There was a meeting that we had that somebody was had like a, a blindness, not a full blindness, but like like a partial or a you know, significant blindness. And so he started the meeting before he was going to talk about whatever he was going to talk about. He said, you know, I just want to let you know that um, I have this blindness. And he said, I have trouble seeing X, Y, Z. So I just want to start by to for anyone else that might be on the call that I am, you know, a man in my mid 40s. I have, you know, short, dark hair and I'm wearing a green shirt today. And then he started in on his talk. And I Mm. thought, you know, how nice is that? Just Mm -hmm. as like a grounding. It's kind of like the land acknowledgement that some places have started adopting. And that that self-identification, you know, then we we had talked about that later. And and he said what a difference it makes because you just immediately start off. You get everyone on the same page instead of people spending the time saying, is there something different? Is there not something different? You know, what is it that 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 I'm thinking of? And is is he doing that on purpose? Is he not doing that? And then they miss the content. So you can just get people to kind of like ground them and then mm-hmm. you get on with it. And mm-hmm. the same is true. Uh, so 3M has a, a goal, which I thought was really weird at first, but it's common in, in the workplace, I understand, is the self-identification. And they have a certain like number that they that they're trying to target. And it's all around this of being open and welcoming and understanding and uh, making spaces that are good for everyone. Uh, but self-disclosure, and this is a thing that is people have a different comfort level with. 
Uh, do you tell people that you have ADHD? Do you tell people mm. that you have autism? Mm -hmm. uh, is it, will they look at you differently? Will they judge you differently? Mm. And what I found is some similar things as I say, like, I am really great at leading the meeting. I am really great at talking in front of a crowd. Um, I can go in at the last minute and speak from the hip. If somebody doesn't show up, I can step right in and, and take over. I can run it, mm -hmm. uh, but I cannot do minutes. I cannot <laughs> write it down yeah. and, yeah. you know, and send it out on time. Mm -hmm. That is a big struggle of mine. So if you want me to do that, get mm. someone else. But if you want someone to lead, you know, to, to like, play the room or, you know, do the team building or get, uh, introduce uh, different people together. Those are my skills. I can mm. bring that. I can do that 100%. So I lead with that, identify what I know what my deficiencies are and I know what my strengths are. So let's you and I work together to highlight that and, and, and run with that. So that's, that's where I would say, own it, mm -hmm. uh, understand yourself. There's everyone is dealing with things that you have no idea about. It is yes. not such a thing that everyone else is is perfect or has it figured out and you are somehow failing. Mm. It is that these are your obstacles or these are your burdens and other people have other things. Own it. So know yourself, know what you're good at and lead with that. And if you mm. tell people around you, because I tell my team, I said, uh, do not come early to a meeting because I will not be there. And most likely I'll be finishing <laughs> up whatever I was last doing yeah. or prepping for the meeting. And mm. so if you come five minutes before, like for a one-on-one -on -one or something, just, you know, go get some coffee or <laughs> whatever. <laughs> go so, for a washroom you know, break, something. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So I, I lead with that. And then I tell them, you know, how to communicate with me. I say, don't call my desk phone. I will never answer it. Don't leave a message. Mm. Um, you know, get me on the instant messaging or send me a text message on my phone. Yeah. Uh, I don't care. It's, you, you know, so setting those expectations has made a world of difference because then they know what to expect. You they you know you work together in the ways that work mm -hmm. and the the more that you can do that with other people just makes everything easier then you can focus on the content then you can focus on the project and or on the product or whatever it is that you need to accomplish and you mm -hmm. don't have to worry about those kind of you know behind the scenes things mm -hmm. uh, and people can be the their whole selves at work oh i love that that is so good and i think anyone in any industry can take note from what you just shared with us. Now, before we let you go, Holly, we got to talk about how you were the recipient of the SWE Spark Award in 2020 for contributing to the advancement of women by mentoring those around you. First of all, congratulations. Thank you. Thank you. Now, <laughs> do you see uh, mentorship and peer support playing a role specifically in helping neurodiverse people thrive in the world of engineering? Yes, absolutely. So similar to, to what I had spoken before is, you know, I spent the early part of my career just keeping my head down, working hard and mm. trying. And, you know, if I wasn't succeeding, just try harder, just work harder. And, you know, that didn't work. That wasn't sustainable. And so when I really like, you know, lifted my head up and looked around and said, you know, these are my skills. This is what I bring. This is how I can succeed. And this is what I want to do. And I want to grow this. And one of those things was really mentoring the women coming up behind me. 
and the, the mm. people that I was working with. So I started at 3M, I started the, the 3M SWE group. And we started with 150 people across all the different um, plants, uh, manufacturing plants for 3M. And that was in 2017. And now we have like over 450 people. And a lot of wow. that was, I want the new employees, people right out of college when they're starting on their career mm -hmm. to know things that I didn't know when I mm -hmm. started. I want all of my struggle to like, that be the starting point for people now so that they can they can accelerate their careers. They can mm -hmm. be more satisfied in their job and, and what they're doing. And so mentorship is uh, incredibly critical. Uh, the ability to uh, find a network, you know, people talk about uh, you need a mentor, you need a sponsor, you need a, you know, whatever, but there's not strategies. You don't learn how to do that. And so trying to take the onus and, and spread that out um, it has been just a, a, um, a critical part of what I see my role is now as a leader. Holly Maudsley, thank you so much for taking the time to chat with us today. You spoke so beautifully on how to lean on your strengths, how to tap into that self-awareness to advocate for yourself and also how there's so much power in our differences. So thank you again for taking the time to speak with us today. My pleasure. It's been a great experience. Thank you so much. And if you enjoyed this conversation, I invite you to check out SWE's neuroinclusion training in the Advanced Learning Center. Head over to advancedlearning.swe.org to get more information. I'm Sam East, and from all of us at SWE, thank you for listening. We hope you enjoyed this episode of Diverse. Please don't forget to subscribe, leave a review, and share this episode with your social network. You can visit podcast.swe.org to keep up with our episodes and learn more about how the Society of Women Engineers empowers women to achieve their full potential as engineers and leaders. 